Well, for several weeks we have been studying, we've been hearing messages from the book of Hosea. Hosea, that 8th century B.C. prophet, who was a prophet of doom, which is to say he brought a hard message of impending judgment against the people of God. And I know what some of you are thinking. Couldn't we speed this up just a little bit? Doom, week after week after week. And believe me, I get it. Um, But let me remind you, we believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. And He has given us these 14 chapters in Hosea, just as He has given us the 66 books of the Bible. And there is something there for us each week. Some weeks, easier than others to gain something to apply to our lives. Some weeks, harder than others. Some weeks, um, just an uncomfortable word to be spoken. But all of it, the Word of God for the people of God. And so we want to rightly understand and apply that Word to us. Hosea is speaking to a people who have broken covenant with God, and the Lord wants His people to know He is not okay with that. That they need to repent and to return to Him, or they will be cut off from Him. And more than just a historical account, here we're given instruction and a means of evaluating our own lives This morning, I've told you that Hosea can be like a mirror that shows us realities about ourselves that we need to confess and repent before the Lord. And such is the case in Hosea chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. Listen, and then we'll seek to apply it to our lives. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord. Because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf, a metal worker has made it. It is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. 
Although they have sold themselves among the nations, I will now gather them together. They will begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, these have become altars for sinning. I wrote for them the many things of my law, but they regarded them as something foreign. Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, the Lord is not pleased with them. Now he will remember their wickedness and will punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. Israel has forgotten their maker and built palaces. Judah has fortified many towns. But I will send fire on their cities that will consume their fortresses. It's a hard word. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing us to understand it. Lord, would you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to believe what is true, what is true about us, what is true about you, and what we are to do. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a forgetful person? Do you tend to forget things? You're asked maybe to swing by the grocery store on the way home, and you agree to do it, and then you get home, and someone says, I thought you were going to pick something up. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Or maybe you tell a child, um, don't forget to take out the trash, or to cut the grass, or to clean up your room, or to make tomorrow's bagged lunch, and then the response some hours later is, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. We all have memory problems. We all forget things. We will all agree to do things, and yet we will forget, however good our intentions are. Well, Hosea's claim against Israel, against the people of God, the covenant people, what we would understand to be the church is that they had forgotten. They had forgotten the Lord. And Hosea begins chapter 8 with some striking imagery where he says, put the trumpet to your lips, which is to say, here comes an announcement, a, pro a pronouncement, and you need to hear it for what it is. So pay attention to what is coming. And then he says in the NIV, an eagle is perched above you. Now, in other translations, depending on what version of the Bible you have in front of you, it may say a vulture. So eagle and, and vulture are two very similar words, but the imagery for either one is really the same, and I want you to think about this. The imagery of an eagle would be that bird of prey who is perched above, looking down and seeing everything that Israel has done, waiting to swoop down in judgment. And that makes a lot of sense with what we know said elsewhere. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, the Lord says that He will be like an eagle and will swoop down in the form of Assyria to judge His people. 
And so some versions translate that word eagle, but the word could also mean vulture. And you know the imagery of a vulture, or for us around here, the imagery of a, of a buzzard. A circling buzzard, which is circling around literally dead meat. And so either way, the imagery is the same, is that the condition of Israel is bad and judgment is coming. I was really tempted to title the sermon this morning, Israel is Dead Meat. Um, But with so much going on in the world, I couldn't possibly title it that. But that is what Hosea the prophet is saying of 8th century B.C. Israel, that their sins have found them out that judgment is coming because they have dishonored and abandoned the Lord. So in making his point, Hosea gives specific evidence of Israel's taking matters into their own hands and practicing what we would call self-reliance. Doing things their own way, for their own purposes, and for their own pleasure. And he warns them that because they have done this, they will reap the whirlwind. And that's another image that Hosea gives to stir the people. So three points this morning. Israel's forgetfulness, Israel's folly, and Israel's only hope for forgiveness. The prophet begins with at least three points of forgetfulness that had been true of Israel. And I think you'll see that every one of these can be true of every one of us. The first is this, Israel's forgetfulness. Israel forgot to consult the Lord regarding their leadership. That's what he says in verse 4. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. Which is to say, Israel has forgotten the Lord. They didn't consult the Lord in what they did. This sounds like 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, where the people said to the prophet Samuel, We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. They had forgotten the Lord, and they've done it again. They have looked anywhere and everywhere but to the Lord for their leadership. In other words, they've had the idea, the mentality of, we got this. We'll do this our way. And that never ends well for the people of God. We've got this. We'll do this our way according to our preferences. It's what Old Testament Israel, the Old Testament church, did over and over and over again. And it may very well be what you and I tend to do and how we tend to think even in the church of our day. We got this. We'll do it our way. Our preferences are a good thing. And you'll see that they will reap the whirlwind because of this. The sin of self-reliance, doing things their own way, depending on themselves, their wisdom, their judgment, ignoring the instruction of God. That's what's exposed by Hosea the prophet in chapter 8. 
They didn't consult the Lord in pursuing acknowledging leaders. They did it their way. They would take care of this. Now, the succession of kings in the northern kingdom of Israel is helpful to understand for the context of this. This was a period of bloodthirsty kings. This was a period of assassination of kings so that men could succeed them. I think it's about six kings that, that assassinate one another, grasping for power, wanting to do things their way. And Hosea says they will reap the whirlwind for living like pagans, for wanting to have kings like pagan countries. And the same can be true for every one of us. Wanting our own methods, our own preferences, our own devices for manufacturing the outcomes that we want in this life. Priority one for us as individuals can be our way. We think things should be done like this. And yet, remember, it was Jesus who said, no, 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 in Matthew 6, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all proper things will be added to you as well. But Israel had been forgetful. They had not consulted the Lord. They had not looked to His leadership, to His direction. They would have it their way. They felt that they could do this on their own. Secondly, Israel forgot to regard the word and the worship of the Lord as He had instructed them. Listen to verses 4 through 6 and 11 to 13. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf, a metal worker has made it, and it is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, these have become altars for sinning. I wrote for them the many things of my law, but they have regarded them as something foreign. Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, the Lord is not pleased with them. Israel had no regard for the word and the worship of the Lord. Now it's important to remember in the midst of all this, that Israel is still a very religious people. They are still participating in worship, but they've corrupted the worship of God and they've made it in their own image. They've made it in the likeness of other pagan nations as they've blended Baalism with the worship of Yahweh, things we've talked about in previous weeks. The whole passage about a golden calf of melting down metal and silver to build a golden calf harkens back to Exodus chapter 32 and that event where Moses has gone and ascended the hill of the Lord and left Aaron the priest in charge with the people. And you remember the story that while Moses is gone, the people begin to grumble and they say, we want to worship the Lord. We want a golden calf. 
And so they throw their metal into the fire. And out comes a calf, Aaron says. And Moses comes back down the mountain and approaches Aaron and says, What have you done? And do you remember Aaron's response? He says to Moses, Well, you know how the people are. Which is to say, the people, if the people want something, they really want it. So we're going to give it to them. I mean, we wouldn't want them to leave our church or anything. So we'll conform the, the worship of Yahweh to whatever the people's appetite is. And this is yet another example of the failure of the priesthood in the Old Testament. They fashioned a bull calf. The bull calf was an imagery of virility, of fertility. It was an image of strength. And the people, that's what the pagan nations had. The people were drawn to it. They were attracted to it. Well, why can't we have something like this? So Aaron just gave it to them. And that tendency continues in all of God's people. We can look to the nations and how they do things and think, we want that too. We'll have it our way. We got this. This is a good thing. And so they had neglected the Lord. They had no regard for His word or for His worship. One person said in church history, he said, In the beginning, God created man in His own image. And man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. And it's the sin of reducing God to an image. To a likeness. You see, God created us in His image and likeness. That's His prerogative. But somehow in our perverted and sinful sense, we now want to conform God. We want to make Him into our preferred image and our preferred likeness. Such was the case with Old Testament Israel. Such is the case with us. We're just not that different. These religious people had busy lips. They had much to say about God, but they had empty hearts. It's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, which was our reflection this morning. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, the Lord says. And so we learn from Old Testament Israel, if it can be true of them, it can be true of us. We can worship the Lord with our lips, but our hearts can be far from Him. We can worship in vain. We can try to make Him into our preferred image and likeness. And the Lord says He rejects such worship. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 32, we're given another summary of God's people. Listen to this description. Of God's people, His covenant people, it says, They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their Savior. They made Him jealous with their foreign gods and angered Him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. And then listen to this. You deserted the rock who fathered you. 
you forgot the God who gave you birth. And there is our tendency to forget the Lord, to forget His Word, to forget His worship, to forget His commands. And like young children, we will say, oh, we forgot. Someone said to me once, talking about parenting, he said, Paul, in our American culture, saying, I forgot is treated as if it's an assurance of pardon. You tell someone to do something, a child, and they say, oh, I forgot. As if we're supposed to say, oh, well, then it's okay. You forgot. Imagine doing that at the workplace. A boss tells you to do something, and you say, I forgot. Try that one or two times, and you know what the outcome of that will be. But here's the truth, parents. Here's something to talk to your children about at lunch today. I forgot is a confession of sin. It's not an assurance of pardon. And that's what Hosea is speaking to the people of God. They have forgotten the Lord. And that should be their confession of sin. Lord, we have forgotten You. We have neglected Your worship, neglected Your Word. Have mercy on us. So I forgot is a confession of sin. It's not to be an assurance of pardon. And I know I got a lot of husbands in trouble there because like me, you forget to go to CVS and pick up the prescription or swing by the grocery store and to get the goods. But can we agree it's a confession of sin? It's not an assurance of pardon. Thirdly, Israel forgot to trust the Lord and not trust their strategic, political, pagan alliances. That's what verses 8 through 10 are. Listen to those again. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. And although they have sold themselves among the nations, I will now gather them together they will begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. That is the pagan foreign king. Israel had seen the strength of Assyria. They had seen the strength of Egypt, the strength of foreign nations. And Israel as a people were always tempted to go and make allegiance there, to make an alliance there because they had powerful armies. And maybe they'll do us favors if we enter into an alliance with them. And the Lord says, I am all the protection. I am all the fight for you that you will ever need. If you flirt with the pagan nations, you will become like the pagan nations. And you will neglect my worship. And that is precisely what would happen for Old Testament Israel. Listen to Exodus chapter 34. Verses 15 to 16. Do not make any treaties with the people of the country, because when they worship their pagan gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you to join them, and you will be tempted to eat the food they offer to their gods. Your sons might marry those foreign women who would lead them to be unfaithful to me and to worship their pagan gods. The Lord had been very clear in speaking to His people. 
There is but one God. He is your protector. He is your defender. He is your king. But something about the human heart is always quick to be drawn to the strength of something other than the Lord. Now you fill in the blank for yourself what that is. But where have you been tempted to not believe the promises of God and to believe in the strength or the power or the security of someone else or something else? That's the precise issue that Hosea is speaking to. And he says, because you have done that, because you've neglected the Lord, here comes the whirlwind. You sow the wind, a little bit of disobedience, here comes the whirlwind of judgment and destruction against you. On this, Rick Phillips says in his commentary, that calf must be broken to pieces. Because Israel had offended the Lord by seeking her security and prosperity through a vain idol. She would, therefore, reap enslavement and poverty instead. Looking to the world for aid and deliverance, instead of trusting the Lord and His Word, always reaps the whirlwind. And there's the hard message for every one of us. How have we sown the wind in little acts of disobedience? And now a whirlwind of consequences and judgment are going to be ours. The Lord will break down false idols. And when we put our hope in false things, we're going to reap the whirlwind. We're going to feel the devastation of it because it's not how we were made to live. And this leads to the second point, which is Israel's folly. That is Israel's practice of self-reliance. That we got this. And we'll do this our own way. It says in verse 12 that the Lord and His covenant and His law had become strange to the people of God. That's Hosea's way of saying... You who are the intimate, personal, special, covenant people of God. He gave you His law. He gave you instruction in how to, to live. And now you've become so enamored by the other nations, His law and His word seem weird to you. They seem foreign. They feel strange to you. Yet this is supposed to be the very identity markers of who you are. God's Word had become strange and foreign to them. It seems to me in my own experience that what happens here is when God's people start to drift from Him, there's a numbness that comes over God's people. They don't feel what disobedience feels like. They're so drawn to the nations, it doesn't feel like disobedience, and they become numb to the truth of God, numb to the Word of God, numb to the promises of God. Some of you have had dental work before, that marvelous Novocaine or whatever it now is that brings that delightful numbness so you feel no pain. Well, spiritually, there can be a numbness. And it's not a good thing. We don't feel like we're disobedient. We don't feel like we're being unfaithful. We don't feel like we're rebelling against the Lord. Israel sure didn't, but it's a spiritual numbness that leads to our decline and threatens our ruin. 
The second act of Israel's folly is in verse 14, where it says that they trusted not in the Lord, but in having fortified cities, having strongholds. You know, if we can just build strong towers, tall walls, secure buildings, we will be safe from all harm. And Hosea says, no, 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 that is self-reliance. You are thinking you got this. You are thinking you can have it your way. But your fortified cities will crumble under the judgment of God. Instead of seeking comfort in a fortified city, Proverbs 18.10, you remember what it says. It's the name of the Lord that is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. They were to run to the Lord, to the name of the Lord, the person, the nature of the Lord. And yet they would not do it. They were self-reliant. They put their hope in their own strength. And the Lord says, because that is true, the Lord says this, because you have forgotten me, I will remember. I will remember your sins and I will punish them. And that's the hard message of Hosea chapter 8 and really the whole book of Hosea. It's why preaching through Hosea is so challenging. Because if you remember, the title of the series, as I've given it, is The Gospel According to Hosea. Well, it sounds like a lot of bad news, doesn't it? But it's in the badness of the bad news that the goodness of the good news becomes so sweet. And that is our third and final point. Israel's only hope of forgiveness. There is hope for forgiveness. Now, whether or not that would come true for the northern kingdom is another thing. But it was offered to them. Listen to Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Hosea says to these people, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you, that is, words of repentance. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. And then here's more confession. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount their war horses. We will never again say, our gods, to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. So Hosea's offer for forgiveness for these people is if they will turn from those false gods, if they'll turn from their self-reliance, and if they'll look to the God of promise, confess their sins to Him, admit their guilt to Him, and that He in His love, His mercy... His relentless love and mercy, that He would renew them and revive them and forgive them. Hosea's message as an Old Testament prophet of doom points. It points somewhere. No, it screams to our need of a better way than what was true for them. A better covenant than what was true for them. You see, for them, it was not enough for God's law to be inscribed on tablets of stone and handed to them. The law needed to be written on the hearts 
of God's people. The Holy Spirit needed to come and to come to those hearts, hearts that were as hard as stone, to bring them life, to make them living flesh with sincere faith. And that is precisely what the Lord has done. You see, the book of Hosea, when it's rightly understood, if it does anything for us, it should help us to anticipate Christmas. It should help us to anticipate that Christmas is coming. And it can't get here quickly enough. Because Jesus is the one true Israelite. Jesus is the faithful prophet, priest, and king. And so as we consider Hosea in these weeks that will conclude in Advent, he is pointing the way, he is shouting the way that you need a better covenant. You need God's Word and God's Spirit to come upon your hearts of stone to give you hearts of flesh. And that is precisely what Jesus said He has come and He has done for His people. What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? It's the message of Christmas, the need for Christmas, and it's all in the book of Hosea. Let's pray for God's work in our hearts. Lord, may you somehow take this bad news and show us the good news that it demands. Lord, would you show us the hope of Jesus, that one true Israelite, the great prophet, priest, and king, who can melt hearts of stone and make them to be hearts of flesh. That, Lord, all of the judgment every one of us deserves for our being prone to self-reliance, that you can put that to death in the death of Christ. That you can raise us to newness of life, even new obedience in Him. Lord, this is our prayer for now and for the weeks ahead. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.